0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today a story from one of my favorite Australian authors, Henry Lawson. It is said that when Australians lose themselves, they turn back to Henry Lawson's writings, and all is okay. He was one of the best-known Australian poets and short story writers of the colonial period. He had a raw and sharp style and wrote extensively about the Australian outback, He remains today one of Australia's greatest short story writers, along with contemporary author Banjo Patterson. And now, The Story of the Oracle, by Henry Lawson. "'We young fellows,' said Sympathy Joe to Mitchell after tea, in their first camp west of the river. "'And you and I are young fellows, comparatively. Think we know the world.' There are plenty of chaps knocking around in this country who reckon they've been through it all before they're 30. I've met cynics and men of the world, aged 21 or thereabouts, who've never been further than a trip to Sydney. They talk about this world as if they'd knocked around at half a dozen other worlds before they came across here. And they are just as offhand about it as older Australians are when they talk about the colony as compared with the others. They say, my oath, same here. I've been there. My oath, you're right. Take it from me, and all that sort of thing. They understand women, and have a contempt for them. And chaps that don't talk as they talk, or do as they do, or see as they see, are either soft or ratty. A good many reckon that life ain't blanky well worth living. Sometimes they feel so blanky somehow that they wouldn't give a blank whether they chucked it or not. But that sort never chuck it. "'It's mostly the quiet men that do that. "'And if they've got any complaints to make against the world, "'they make them at the head station. "'Why, I've known healthy, single young fellows under 25 "'who drank to drown their troubles, "'some because they reckon the world didn't understand nor appreciate them. "'As if it could. "'If the world don't understand or appreciate you,' "'said Mitchell solemnly as he reached for a burning stick to light his pipe, "'make it to drown their troubles.' "'continued Joe, in a tone of impatient contempt. "'The Oracle must be well on towards the sixties. "'He can take his glass with any man, "'but you never saw him drunk. "'What's the Oracle got to do with it? "'Did you ever hear his history? Naw. Do you know it?' "'Yes, though I don't think he has any idea that I do. "'Now, we were talking about the Oracle a little while ago. "'We know he's an old ass,' A good many outsiders consider that he's a bit soft or ratty, and as we're likely to be mates together for some time on that fencing contract, if we get it, you might as well know what sort of man he is and was. So as you won't get uneasy about him if he gets deaf for a while when you're talking, or does funny things with his pipe or pint pot, or walks up and down by himself for an hour or so after tea, or sits on a log with his head in his hands, Or leans on the fence in the gloaming and keeps looking in a blank sort of way, straight ahead, across the clearing. For he's gazing at something a thousand miles across country, southeast, and about twenty years back into the past. And no doubt he sees himself as a young man. And a Gippsland girl, spooning under the stars along between the Hop Gardens and the Mitchell River. And if you get hold of a fiddle or a concertina, don't rasp or swank too much on old tunes when he's around for the oracle can't stand it. Play something lively. He'll be down there at that surveyor's camp yawning till all hours, so we'll have plenty of time for the story. But don't you ever give him a hint that you know. My people knew him well. I got most of the story from them, mostly from Uncle Bob, who knew him better than anyone. The rest leaked out through the women. You know how things leak out amongst women. Mitchell dropped his head and scratched the back of it. He knew. It was on the Kujgong River. My Uncle Bob was mates with him on one of those rushes along there, the pipe clay, I think it was, or the log paddock. The oracle was a young man then, of course, and so was Uncle Bob. He was a match for most men. You see, the oracle now, and you can imagine what he was when he was a young man, over six feet and as straight as a sapling. Uncle Bob said, clean-limbed and as fresh as they made men in those days, carried his hands behind him, as he does now, when he hasn't got the swag. But his shoulders were back in those days. Of course, he wasn't the oracle then. He was young Tom Marshall. But that doesn't matter. Everybody liked him, especially women and children. He was a bit happy-go-lucky, I guess you would say, and careless, but he didn't know anything about this world and didn't bother about it. He hadn't been there and his heart was as good as gold my aunt used to say he didn't understand women as we young fellows do nowadays and therefore he hadn't any contempt for them perhaps he understood and understands them better than any of us without knowing it anyway you know he's always gentle and kind where a woman or child is concerned and doesn't like to hear us talk about women as we do sometimes there was a girl "'On the gold fields, a fine lump of a blonde, and pretty gay. "'She came from Sydney, I think, with her people, "'who kept shanties on the fields. "'She had a splendid voice, and used to sing Madeline. "'There might have been one or two bad women before that "'in the oracle's world, but no cold-blooded designing ones. "'He calls the bad ones unfortunate. "'Perhaps it was Tom's looks, or his freshness, "'or his innocence, or softness.' or maybe it was altogether that attracted her. Anyway, he got mixed up with her before the gold field petered out. No doubt it took a long while for the facts to work into Tom's head that a girl might sing like she did and yet be thoroughly unprincipled. The oracle was always slow at coming to a decision, but when he does, it's generally the right one. Anyway, you could take that for granted, but you won't move him, for you won't move him. I don't know whether he found out that she wasn't all that she pretended to be to him, or whether they quarreled, or whether she chucked him over for a lucky digger. Tom never had any luck on the goldfields. Anyway, he left and went over to the Victorian side, where his people were, and went up Gippsland Way. It was there for the first time in his life that he got what you would call properly gone on a girl. He got hard hit. He met his fate. Her name was Bertha Brett, I remember. Aunt Bob saw her afterwards. Aunt Bob used to say that she was a girl as God made her. A good, true, womanly girl. One of those sort of girls that only love once. Tom got on with her father, who was packing horses through the ranges to the new gold fields. It was a rough country, and there were no roads. They had to pack everything there in those days, and there was money in it. The girl's father took to Tom, as almost everybody else did. And as far as the girl was concerned... "'I think it was a case of love at first sight. "'They only knew each other for about six months "'and were only courting, as they called it then, "'for three or four months altogether. "'But she was that sort of girl that can love a man for six weeks "'and lose him forever, "'and yet go on loving him to the end of her life "'and die with his name on her lips. "'Well, things were brightening up every way for Tom, "'and he and his sweetheart were beginning to talk about "'their own little home in future.' when there came a letter from the Madeline girl in New South Wales. She was in terrible trouble. Her baby was to be born in a month. Her people had kicked her out, and she was in danger of starving. She begged and prayed of him to come back and marry her, if only for his child's sake. He could go then and be free. She would never trouble him any more. Only come and marry her, just for the child's sake. We'll return to our story right after this message from our sponsor. "'And now, back to our story. "'The Oracle doesn't know where he lost that letter. "'But I do. "'It was burnt afterwards by a woman, "'who was more than a mother to him in his trouble. "'Aunt Bob. "'She thought he might carry it round with the rest of his papers, "'in his swag, for years, "'and come across it unexpectedly "'when he was camped by himself in the bush and feeling dull. "'It wouldn't have done him any good then. "'He must have fought the hardest fight in his life "'when he got that letter.' No doubt he walked to and fro, to and fro, all night, with his hands behind him and his eyes on the ground, as he does now sometimes. Walking up and down helps you to fight a thing out. No doubt he thought of things pretty well as he thinks now. The poor girl's shame on every tongue and belled round the district by every hag in the township. And she being looked upon by women as being as bad as any man who ever went to Bathurst in the old days, handcuffed between two troopers, There is sympathy, a pipe and tobacco, a cheering word, and maybe a whiskey now and then for the criminal on his journey. But there is no mercy, at least as far as women are concerned, for the poor foolish girl who has to sneak out the back way and round by back streets and lanes after dark with a cloak on to hide her figure. Tom sent what money he thought he could spare, and next day he went to the girl he loved and who loved him, and told her the truth, and showed her the letter, She was only a girl, but the sort of girl you could go to in a crisis like that. He had made up his mind to do the right thing, and she loved him all the more for it. And so they parted. When Tom reached Pipe Clay, the girls' relations, they had a parson readied up, and they were married the next day. "'And what happened after that?' asked Mitchell. "'Well, nothing happened for three or four months. Then the child was born. Well, guess what?' It wasn't his. Mitchell stood up with an oath. The girl was thoroughly bad. She'd been carrying on with God knows how many men, both before and after she'd trapped Tom. And what did he do then? Well, you know how the oracle argues over things, and I suppose he was as big an old fool then as he is now. He thinks that, as most men would deceive women if they could, when one man gets caught. He's got no call to squeal about it. He's bound because of the sins of men in general against women, to make the best of it. What is one man's wrong counted against the wrongs of hundreds of unfortunate girls? It's an uncommon way of arguing, like most of the oracle's ideas, but it seems to look all right at first sight. Perhaps he thought she'd go straight. Perhaps she convinced him that he was the cause of her first fall. Anyway, he stuck to her for more than a year and intended to take her away from that place as soon as he'd scraped enough money together. It might have gone on up till now, if the father of the child, a big black Irishman named Redmond, hadn't come sneaking back at the end of a year. Well, he came hanging around Mrs. Marshall while Tom was away at work, and she encouraged him, and Tom was forced to see it. Tom wanted to fight out his own battle without interference, but the chaps wouldn't let him. They reckoned that he'd stand very little show against Redmond. It was a very rough customer and a fighting man. My uncle Bob, who was there still, fixed it up this way: the Oracle was to fight Redman, and if the Oracle got licked, Uncle Bob was to take Redman on. If Redman whipped Uncle Bob, that was to settle it. But if Uncle Bob thrashed Redman, then he was also to fight Redman's mate, another big, tough paddy named Dwegan. Then the affair would be finished, no matter which way the last bout went. You see. Uncle Bob was reckoned more of a match for Redmond than the Oracle was, so the thing looked fair enough at first sight. Redmond had his mate, Tweakin, and one or two others of the rough gang that used to terrorize the fields round there in the roaring days of Golgong. The Oracle had Uncle Bob, of course, and long Dave Reagan, the drover, a good-hearted, sawny kind of chap that'd break the devil's own buck jumper, or smash him, or get smashed himself, and little Jimmy Nolet, the Bullocky, and one or two of the old better-class diggers that were left on the field. There's a clear space among the saplings in Specimen Gully, where they used to pitch circuses, and here, in the cool of a summer evening, the two men stood face to face. Redmond was a rough, roaring, foul-mouthed man. He stripped to his shirt and roared like a bull, and swore, and sneered, and wanted to take the whole of Tom's crowd on while he was at it and make one clean job of them couldn't waste time fighting them all one after the other because he wanted to get away to the new rush at Cattle Creek the next day. The fool had been drinking shanty whiskey. Tom stood up in his clean white moles and white flannel shirt, one of those sort with no sleeves that gave the arms play. He had a sort of set expression and a look in his eyes that Uncle Bob, nor none of them, had ever seen there before. Give us plenty of room, roared Redmond. One of us is going to hell now. This is going to be a fight to a finish, and a short one. And it was. Joe paused. Well, go on, said Mitchell. Go on. Joe drew a long breath. The Oracle never got a mark. He was top dog right from the start. Perhaps it was his strength that Redmond had underrated, or his want of science that puzzled him, or the awful silence of the man that frightened him. It made even Uncle Bob uneasy. Or perhaps it was Providence. It was a glorious chance here for Providence. But anyway, as I say, the oracle never got a mark except on his knuckles. After a few rounds, Redmond was gone and wanted to give in, but the chaps wouldn't let him, not even his own mates, except Dwegan. They made him take it as long as he could stand on his feet. He even shammed to be knocked out and roared out something about having broken his ankle or something, but it was no use. And the oracle... The chaps that knew thought that he'd refused to fight and never hit a man that had given in. Oh, but he did. He just stood there with that quiet look in his eyes and waited. And when he did hit, there wasn't any necessity for Redmond to pretend to be knocked down. You'll see a glint of that old light in the Oracle's eyes even now, once in a while. And when you do, it's a sign that you or someone is going too far and had better pull up, for it's a red light on that line, old as he is. Now, Jimmy Nolet was a nuggety little fella, hard as cast iron, good-hearted, but very excitable. And when the bashed Redman was being carted off, poor Uncle Bob was always pretty high strung and was sitting on a log sobbing like a great child from the reaction. Dwegan made some sneering remark that only Jimmy Nolet caught, and in an instant he was up and at Dwegan. Perhaps Dwegan was demoralized by his mate's defeat or by the suddenness of the attack, but at all events, he got a hiding, too. Uncle Bob used to say that it was the funniest thing he ever saw in his life. Jimmy kept yelling, Lemme at him! By the Lord, lemme at him! And nobody was attempting to stop him. He was getting at him all the time, and properly, too. And when he'd knock Dweegan down, he'd dance around him and call on him to get up. And every time he jumped or bounced, he'd squeak like an india rubber ball, Bob said. And he would nearly burst his boiler trying to lug the big man onto his feet so's he could knock him down again. It took two of Jimmy's mates all their time to lamb him down into a comparatively reasonable state of mind after the fight was over. The oracle left for Sydney the next day, and Uncle Bob went with him. He stayed at Uncle Bob's place for some time. He got very quiet, they said, and gentle. He used to play with the children, and they got mighty fond of him. The old folks thought his heart was broken, but it went through a deeper sorrow still after that, and it ain't broken yet. It takes a lot to break the heart of a man and his wife asked mitchell what became of her well i don't think he ever saw her again she dropped down pretty low after he left her i heard she's living somewhere quietly the oracle's been sending someone money ever since i knew him and i know it's a woman i suppose it's her he isn't the sort of man to see a woman starve especially a woman he'd ever had anything to do with "'Well, what about the Gippsland girl?' asked Mitchell. "'That's the worst part of it all, I think. "'The Oracle went up north somewhere. "'In the course of a year or two, his affair got over Gippsland way "'through a mate of his who lived over there. "'And at last the story got to the ears of this girl, Bertha Brett. "'She must have written a dozen letters to him. "'Aunt Bob said, "'She knew what was in him, but of course she'd never tell us. "'The Oracle only wrote one in reply.' "'Then what must the girl do but clear out from home "'and make her way over to Sydney, "'To Aunt Bob's place, looking for Tom. "'She never got any further. "'She took ill there, brain fever or broken heart "'or something of that sort. "'All the time she was down, her cry was, "'I want to see him. "'I want to find Tom. "'I only want to see Tom. "'When they saw she was dying, "'Aunt Bob wired to the oracle to come, "'and he came.' When the girl saw it was Tom sitting by that bed, she just gave one long look in his face, put her arms around his neck, and laid her head on his shoulder, and died. By the way, here comes the oracle now. And Mitchell lifted the tea billy onto the coals. Thanks for joining us for the story of the oracle by Australian classic short story writer Henry Lawson. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Join us next week, Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for a brand new story at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Everyone stay safe out there, and we'll be back soon.